again, uh, welcome and uh, glad that we're together uh, and glad that we have the very Word of God to look at. This, uh, this is a lot of what we do when we're together. We just get our eyes on the text, uh, thankful that God works by His Holy Spirit in and through His Word. So trusting that He'll do that today. Um, there was probably a time in our nation where a lot uh, maybe a higher percentage of people had at least some familiarity with Scripture. Uh, I don't know that that necessarily meant that more people were Christians in our nation, but a lot of people had at least some sort of familiarity with Scripture, maybe even had memorized a couple of verses that were very common. There is still probably one verse that many Americans, even today, can quote from memory. You might think it would be something like John 3.16, but it's often been said it's more like Matthew 7.1, which begins with, you should not judge. That's a passage that a lot of people really like to quote. The context in which that passage is usually used in our culture today is in regards to what someone believes or how someone is choosing to live. Often, a person living a life of sin and really enjoying it would say quickly to somebody else, hey, don't judge me. Or those of us who you might expect to label something as sinful in one way or another might be quick to say, well, who am I to judge? Today, we're going to look at Luke chapter 6 as we continue just walking through this gospel verse by verse. Today, we're looking at verses 37 through 42, and it begins with the command from Jesus that we see in Matthew 7, 1, paralleled here in Luke 6, 37, the command, do not judge, or in the ESV, judge not. What does that mean? Does that mean, like many in our nation today seem to think that it means that no one should ever make any kind of judgment call on what anyone else believes or how anyone else lives. Is that what that means? Now, if we want to understand what anything in Scripture means, this here and then really anything else, we need to look at the context in which we find something. We can't just extract one part of one verse from everything else and say, all right, I know what this means, and give our own interpretation and then application of it. We want to see it in its context that we would understand what the author actually was intending to say. So we need to look at the historical context, the cultural context. We need to see it in light of all of the rest of what the Bible teaches, in addition to the literary context or the things that come right before and right after it. So today, I'm not just preaching on the first part of one verse in the middle of one gospel. I'm preaching on Luke 6, 37 to 42, and we are going to spend some time looking then at the rest of the Bible to help us understand more clearly what it is that Jesus is saying here. The thing is, we're all people born with a sinful nature, and we're surrounded by other sinners. And we have questions like, well, how are we to live with them when we ourselves struggle in some ways to always believe what is true and to live what we know God command, the way God commands us to live? And we see other people struggling with the same thing. How do we live together with them, even leading them? In Luke 6, Jesus is, remember, preaching especially to his disciples. And he's preparing them for living with and leading fellow sinners. 
So let's hear what Jesus says and then take some time to walk through it. If you're able, would you stand? Our custom is we stand as we read the very Word of God. So I want to pray first and then, then let's dive right in. Father, You give us Your Holy Spirit and Your Holy Spirit works uh, to bring about new birth, to bring about conviction of sin, and to remind us of what Jesus taught. And so, so while I feel pretty powerless and really ill-equipped probably uh, to be able to preach this passage, I thank you that Jesus said these words, and I thank you that your Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write down every one of them. And I thank you that that same Spirit now works in many of us uh, who, who trust in Jesus. Your Holy Spirit lives in us, and we need to be convicted of sin that we might be empowered by your Spirit to be more obedient to you. So, We're just saying as we start now, help us to hear, help us to understand, help us to believe, and help us to obey all for your glory in the name of your Son. Amen. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42. Again, Jesus is preaching and he says this, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Amen. You can be seated. I mentioned that many people quote the, the first part of that, but you notice even as I read it that that command, judge not, is connected in a string of commands, four of them actually, and each of them having a promise attached to it. So that command, judge not, and you will not be judged. That's the promise attached to it. Then this condemn not is the next command and the promise that goes with it, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, right? So the first two commands are negative. Here's what not to do. Don't judge and don't condemn. And then the next two are positive. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Let me just, before I talk about how all of those are connected, let me just get at this illustration that Jesus uses that might seem kind of foreign to us. Because that sentence, we read it together as a family last night, and and the kids were like, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Good measure, shaken together, pressed down, like, what's he getting at there? Now, he's referring to this agricultural society, and as they would measure out their grain a way to be honest and fair and not stingy as you measured something out is you would put it in the container, 
that would contain a certain amount, so it had to be a good measure. And when you would want to measure it rightly, and those of you that do like some baking and stuff, you would understand this, you have to like shake it a little bit so it settles and maybe even press it down like you would brown sugar. Okay, so for example, if I was using an example, I would just say, listen, if you're going to, if you say you owe me a cup of chocolate chips, right? I don't want you pouring some chocolate chips into a one cup container uh, where it just like as soon as the peak of the little chocolate chips that you're getting in there uh, gets to the top, you stop. No, I'm going to shake that thing up, press those down so I get the full cup. I don't want you to be stingy with me as you're giving me chocolate chips. And Jesus here is talking about how his disciples are to live with others who are sinners. And he's tying together all of these commands. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. So we usually kind of isolate that judge not command from the rest of the context, but he's talking about a certain kind of judging, a condemning kind of judging. A judging in which the people doing the judging are looking at others in a condemning, you're hopeless, you're not deserving of forgiveness, you're not deserving of any generosity kind of way. So all four of those commands tied together. Not judging, not condemning, but being forgiving and being generous. Giving. These commands are tied together on purpose. Disciples of Jesus are not to look at others as those who are only deserving of God's judgment and therefore offering them only judgment and condemnation. As though others are somehow beyond God's forgiveness. He's calling his disciples not to see people in that way. Those people are not beyond forgiveness. And so disciples of Jesus should not relate to others in that way. Remember, disciples of Jesus are those who may deserve themselves judgment and condemnation, but instead have received love and mercy and forgiveness. And so they are not to turn around and then judge others. What about this like give and it will be given to you? That often gets kind of co-opted by by prosperity gospel preachers. They, They kind of use it to basically say, hey, send some more money to me. And if you send money to me, God's going to give money to you. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. I like this quote from David Garland. He says, Those who imitate God's benevolence will receive even greater benevolence from God. We see that connection here, right? This, this kind of, well, if we're going to be generous and forgiving and not condemningly judging, we're going to expect God will do the same with us. God has done the same with us. But then he says, this verse has nothing to do with receiving fabulous economic benefits on earth for being generous. Jesus does not encourage his disciples to give of their wealth in order to get more wealth. They give because their nature has been transformed. Those who deserve God's judgment and condemnation, but have instead received forgiveness, should not turn around and condemningly judge others. Now, if that's the only part we had, then we'd be like, okay, so uh, we need to be convicted of this. We're going to talk about this in application later. Some of us need to be convicted that we are quick to condemningly judge others. But does this passage right here, verses 37 and 38, does that mean that we are never to be discerning or make a judgment call on what is true and what is false? Does it mean that we are never to discern between what is right 
and what is wrong. doesn't mean we are never to point out in other people when their behavior is wrong or when their thinking is in error. Does that mean we should never point out sin and call others to repentance? Well, we need to keep reading. Remember, we've got to look at context. We don't just look at that in isolation. We need to keep reading. In verses 39 to 42, I think what Jesus is doing there is really using three different examples to say the same thing. And he's telling his disciples, you better examine yourselves. Listen, yes, you are a sinner living among other sinners, and you're going to have this tendency to condemningly judge others, but Jesus is warning them, hey, hold on, take, take, take a second and look at yourself. Examine yourself. does that in three different ways. First, in verse 39. Let's look again at verse 39. It says, he also told them a parable. Now, the parable is just two questions. Here's the questions. Can a blind man lead a blind man Will they not both fall into a pit? Now, you don't have to be, like, you know, very biblically literate to just understand that example. Yeah, if you've got a blind man leading a blind man, that's not a really good idea. If there's a pit and a blind man is leading a blind man, they'll probably both fall into it. That's what Jesus is saying. Why does he use this parable? What's he saying here? Remember that Jesus has been surrounded by curious crowds some of whom have become devoted disciples of Jesus. He has appointed 12 of the men to be his apostles. And there is a time where Jesus uses this same phrase in a very different context when he's talking to Pharisees. But here, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he uses the phrase in a different way, telling them a blind man will lead a blind man into a pit to remind them or to warn them that while now they have been led by Jesus the perfect leader, right? And he is not blind and he is leading them in the right way. The time is coming when these disciples are going to have to learn from others and they're themselves going to be teaching others. And they need to be warned, kind of a double warning here, don't follow those who are blind, they'll lead you into a pit. And as you step up and begin to lead and disciple others, you better not be blind or you're going to lead others into a pit. So another way of Jesus just calling his disciples to examine themselves. Make sure that you're not a blind man leading other blind people into a pit. Then verse 40, another way of saying it, verse 40, Jesus says this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Again, right now, the disciples are following the best teacher. And they're becoming, it's going to take some time and a lot of patience on Jesus' part, but they're becoming more and more Christ-like as they follow him. That's the way education worked in, in those circles, was not like university education, but you find somebody who's going to be your teacher, you attach yourself to them, and you follow them, learning how they live, learning how they talk, learning how they think. And Jesus' disciples becoming more like that, and he's telling them that in the future, that there's going to be people who are following you, and a, t- and a disciple is going to become like his teacher. So again, another way of Jesus reminding his disciples that they need to examine themselves. If they're going to proclaim to be teachers and people are going to follow them, those people are going to become like them. 
Okay, so another command, really, another way of saying, examine yourselves. And the reason I see all this examining yourselves in those two is because of how Jesus ends here in verses, well, he doesn't end it, but we're going to end it, in verses 41 and 42. And here, Jesus is going to use an illustration, and he's going to use a speck and a log. Okay, a speck, or yours might even say sawdust, okay, and a log. So, so they're coming from the same thing, right? You get sawdust from a log or a speck from, from a log here. Here's what Jesus says, verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Have you ever had uh, a, a speck in your eye that got stuck? Uh, I have. Um, and it was like I could feel it. Every time I would blink, it was scratching my eye. And I felt like that's not, that's not good. I don't even know exactly what the speck was. But something had gotten in there. And I was like, I was, you know, putting contact solution in my eyes, trying to get it, like, flush it out, and it would not come out. It was stuck to my eyelid and scraping my eye. And so I had to go to the eye doctor, and I'm grateful that he was able to pretty quickly flip my eyelid up and with, with a little something uh, get that little speck out. It was causing a great deal of pain, and he showed it to me on the little Q-tip-like thing that he had, and it was tiny. It was a tiny little speck, but it was it was potentially going to do some damage if I left it in there to just continually scrape over my eye. So I'm grateful that Dr. Wood was able to remove that speck from my eye. I'm also grateful that when I went in there, I didn't walk in and see the eye doctor with a giant log in his eye in order for him to take the speck out of my eye. He had the right tools and the right equipment to look at it, uh, and thankfully, he wasn't doing this operation with a log in his own eye. So Jesus is using humor here. He's on purpose um, trying to do something. It's called hyperbole, okay? So he's trying to make a point that, yes, you have other people. I'm acting tough, but really my arm's shaking because this is heavy. Uh, You have other people, and you can see specks in their eye. But Jesus is warning his disciples before, like, you're going to notice specks in other people's eye, but don't forget to pay attention to the log that is in your own eye, right? Don't forget to pay attention. So the first thing he wants them to do is notice the log that is in your own eye. But that's not all he wants them to do. Look to verse 42. Verse 42, he says, I got to get there. There it is. How can you say to your brother, brother, Let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. And then Jesus is, I mean, making a judgment call and calling people something. He's calling them a hypocrite. He says, you hypocrite. What's a hypocrite? It's a person who who says they believe one thing but acts contrary to that, right? A play actor in some way living out of character. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Okay, so a couple of things I want us to notice. One, you notice three times in there, brother or brothers shows up. 
Right? Jesus is talking to his disciples and talking to them about how to live with fellow sinners who are fellow believers. Other followers of Jesus, other disciples of Jesus, they are to notice these things. They will notice these things in them. And he's telling them, notice what Jesus says. He's not saying, hey, listen, who are you to say anything about somebody else's speck? No, he doesn't say that. He says, first, notice that. Did you see that in there? First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So he's not saying, hey, you, you never have the right to say anything to another sinner because you're a sinner too. He's not against calling out sin in other people. He's against hypocrisy. That I've, I'm dealing with my own sin in this same area and it is like a log in my life, but I'm going to act like that's not a big deal while I try to take the speck out of my brother's eye. Jesus is commanding them not to offer condemning judgment, but he is encouraging them after examining themselves to offer corrective judgment. To not ignore the speck in the brother's eye. That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, forget about the speck in your brother's eye, you've got a log. No, he says, first, take the log out of your own eye that you might be able then to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see that? See the difference between those things? So, so that's the passage, and I want to spend some time on application and looking at what the, the rest of Scripture has to say as well. Now, the first two things are going to be, and you, you have this in your notes. By the way, I'm going to go through a lot of extra Scripture this morning, and some of you who take notes, you're going to be trying really hard to write them all down. Just note, at the bottom of the sermon notes page, I have all of them there. So you don't have to scramble really quick to have them all written down. Okay? Um, the first thing I want to do, two points of application. The first one is this. I want to talk about how not to live with other sinners. Okay? How not to live with other sinners. What do we learn from this passage and the rest of Scripture about how not to live with other sinners? There's going to be two errors we can make, and one is this. Never judge anyone for anything. Never judge anyone for anything. We know that people, including ourselves often, are believing and some teaching lies. And there is a tendency that some of us have to just let that go. We're more passive by nature. And you've kind of bought into the culture's like you do you kind of mantra. Like everyone can believe whatever they want to believe, live however they want to live, who am I to judge? And you just back up and never make a judgment call on anything. I would say that's in the category of how we should not live with other sinners because of what I read in the rest of Scripture. Aren't we called to judge between what is true and what is false? 2 Peter 3.16, Peter's writing, and he refers to those who are twisting the Scriptures he refers to them as ignorant and unstable. 1 John 4.1 commands us to test the spirits because many are false prophets. We do have to judge whether this, is, this person is speaking what is true or what is false. We don't want to be undiscerning. We want to have right judgment. 2 Corinthians 11.4 
Paul is rebuking the church in Corinth. So this is Paul rebuking the church, making a judgment call, saying you're doing it wrong. Why are they doing it wrong? Because they're failing to judge. They are putting up with, he he gets upset with them. Did I have it all up there? Yeah, right? They're putting up with it readily enough when people are preaching a different gospel, a different spirit, a different Jesus. And he's saying, that's not okay. You don't just kind of let people teach and preach whatever they want within the church. So don't allow that to take place. You've got to be making a judgment call on that. So don't hear the command not to judge as a command to not point out the difference between truth and error. Right? We can't hear that. We also need to not hear this command. Another way to kind of live out this never judge anyone for anything in the wrong way comes when it comes to people's behaviors or lifestyles. We all see people living in sin of various sorts, and we might have a tendency to just say nothing. Again, wondering like, well, who am I to judge? I better not say anything. Everybody, you do you, you do your own thing, right? Yet aren't we called in Scripture to judge between what is right and what is wrong? In Ephesians 5, Paul tells believers not to take part in the deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Okay, So it's not just like, hey, those are deeds of darkness over there. He doesn't just say avoid them. He says don't take part in them, rather expose them. Bring light into the darkness. When we see a list of sins, like we do in 1 Corinthians 6 and a lot of other places, that disqualify people from the kingdom of God, unless they would repent and trust in Jesus as Savior, that would put the burden on us to say something and not just kind of like, well, you can just live however you want to live. If we know it's going to lead to destruction, we better judge between right and wrong and be willing to say to somebody, that's sin and that's potentially destructive. Some of you parents are in the life stage where you're teaching one of your kids how to drive. If your kid does not know the difference between the gas pedal and the brake pedal, you probably better say something about that or it's going to lead to their destruction, the destruction of your car and maybe other people. Right? So, so we want to be discerning and recognize there is right, there is wrong, and we do need to be willing to point out what is right and what is wrong. Listen to what, this, what Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. That's just doing what Jesus says to do. We're calling out. Listen, there's a speck, and that speck, if that stays in there, scraping on the eyeball for a while, that's going to do destructive damage. And I love you enough. I'm not regarding you as an enemy. I don't hate you. I love you. And I love you enough to tell you what is true. So so if we're thinking about how not to live with other sinners, number one is never judge anyone for anything. That's not a good way to live with other sinners. On the opposite side of the spectrum, that's also not good. And that is this. Always judge everyone for everything. Okay? Some of you, you're more uh, kind of on the passive end. I'm never going to say anything to anybody. Just kind of let everybody believe whatever they want to believe, live however they want to live. But others of you, you're on the other side of the spectrum where you're pretty quick to open up your mouth and you have a judgmental, critical kind of spirit. You're a, you, you, you're a fault finder. You can very quickly find these things in others 
And maybe it's in your own mind or in conversation with others, you're quick to assume the worst, you find fault in others, you grumble, and you complain a lot. Every comment that you make about a particular person is negative. You never give that person the benefit of the doubt. You talk like they're a hopeless cake, the hopeless case, and you're quick to condemningly judge. And you need to be reminded of Jesus' warnings in Luke 6, 37 and 38, to not condemningly judge others. You need to be reminded that God has poured out His forgiveness and grace and mercy on you, and you ought to then turn and extend that same kind of non-judgmental, non-condemnation-like forgiveness and generosity to others. You need to be reminded of Romans 8.34, where it says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Or Romans, or sorry, I mean, Ephesians chapter 4 is filled with all sorts of good stuff. And there we're commanded to speak the truth. And some of you are like, oh yeah, sign me up. I love telling people what I think about them. But you forget the rest of that phrase, speak the truth, it says, in love. And then later in that same chapter, it says this, let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Some of you, like there's a convicting work of the Holy Spirit done in you when you hear that because you start thinking back to the thoughts you've had in your head and words that have come out of your mouth, maybe not to the people directly, but with other people, uh, which are not gracious comments intended to build other people up. So I originally had like those two, like don't do it this way. And then as I was talking with Pastor Nick about this a little bit in, in his office this week, he pointed out, uh, well, maybe it's a mixture of both. And this is something that I think probably a lot of us could admit we struggle with. It's a mixture of both of these things. I'm not always like a never judge anyone for anything or always judge everyone for everything kind of person. But many of us probably struggle in this way. I put myself in this category. In our own minds, we're really quick to condemningly judge other people. We have thoughts that come into our mind and we just kind of let, let them sit there. We might even share them with other people. But we are slow to make a corrective judgment to someone out loud. The challenge with that is this really doesn't do anybody any good. We're quick with this condemning, judgmental thought in our mind, and that's just going to kind of like eat us up, and then we share it with other people, and it's going to eat them up, right? These negative, critical kind of comments that we just kind of keep making, it's going to eat everybody up, but it never does any good for the person who actually needs to probably hear it, right? So, so there's all sorts of ways that we can just mess this up. Right? These commands from Jesus are really hard. And it's hard to say to one you know, group of 150 people or whatever, here's, here's where you need to hear. You need to hear that more often you need to be willing to say something to somebody. And some of you need to more often be willing to be quiet. Right? So, so I don't know which one you are, but the Holy Spirit does. And so hopefully the Holy Spirit does that work and helps us to see how we apply passages like this. This is a struggle. How do we do it? Uh, let's just close with this. Application two, 
Well, we're called to make some kinds of judgments, but not condemningly. So how do we know how, when, and who to judge? Just three things. One, look at Scripture. We must begin. If we're just kind of starting with, like, I make judgmental comments based on my experience and what I think about things, that's not a good place to start. I want to more and more, we want to be more and more as people molded by Scripture. I didn't put on there, and I didn't put in your notes, so you maybe want to add this one. Isaiah 66, verse 2. Isaiah 66, verse 2 says this. This is God speaking, and He says, But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. We want to first and foremost be those people who are not quick to judge other people just kind of out there like the fault-finding police waiting for somebody to slip up or believe the wrong thing. But we are people who hear the word of God and we are humble and we are contrite and we tremble at his word. That's the right approach that we are to have. We must begin with ourselves being molded by Scripture. And if we're going to do any kind of work, We need to examine ourselves first, right? Take the log out of our own eye before we do anything about the speck in our brother's eye. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is, all of it, breathed out by God and useful, profitable for teaching, listen, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. One of the purposes of the Word of God is that it would correct us, reprove us, point out where we are wrong. We're believing wrongly, we're living wrongly, and we need that pointed out by Scripture. So we start with Scripture. Jesus says Himself in John 7, 24, do not judge by appearances. Here's a command of Jesus to judge, but judge with right judgment. Okay? So you don't want to just say, Jesus said, don't judge. That means never judge anything, anyone, ever. That's not what Jesus is saying, because John 7, 24, Jesus says, judge with right judgment. So we need to look at Scripture, and then we need to look at ourselves. Again, looking for our logs. This quote from Gavin Ortland, I think, is helpful. He says this, For every minute... You spend thinking about what needs to be corrected in someone else, you should spend many more minutes thinking about what needs to be corrected in yourself. This is where it starts. We see our own sin, we repent of our own sin. We're not hypocrites. Many who rail about our culture's embrace of sexual sin, whether it's you know, people living together before marriage, pride celebrations, whatever else it might be, are themselves consuming pornography. We don't want to be people with a log in our own eye as we point out specks in others. But listen, if God has freed you from sin in a particular area and you see someone else that you love living in sin and headed to destruction, love them enough to tell them that they're wrong. So we need to look at Scripture, we need to look at ourselves, and then finally we need to look at the cross. I hope more than anything that when the Holy Spirit works in us and reveals sin to us, when we see sin in other people, that it would drive us not to quick condemnation, not to passive 
living, but may our sin and the sin of those around us drive us to look at the cross. And when we look at the cross, may we be convinced that my sin is so bad. That we don't just look at the world like, oh, the world's gone to pot, and everybody else is so bad, and I'm doing so good. That when we allow the Holy Spirit to reveal sin in our lives, we recognize my sin is so bad that Jesus had to die for me. That's what we're going to remember as we take communion today. Communion is a time where we have to examine ourselves. We're called to do that. We're going to talk about that a little more right before we take communion. But now, let's just close in prayer. God, we we just need your help. It's another passage. Three in a row, Father, where I look at these passages and there's these commands. And in so many ways, it's like kind of simple to understand and then really hard to obey. And so we just confess before you that we're sinners. We confess that we're slow to see it in ourselves and really a lot of times much more quick to notice it in other people. And that's wrong. So God, would you help us? For those of us here today and around us in our lives who are not yet saved, just help us to be faithful witnesses even as you work through your Holy Spirit to bring conviction of sin to penetrate darkness with light, to bring about new birth by your grace through faith in Jesus. We pray that you would use us in that process. And now as we prepare to take communion, would you help us to examine ourselves and then humble ourselves at the foot of the cross where Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed for us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.